Good morning and welcome. So great to be with you this morning. We're going to think this morning about a voice of testimony. Think with me about what is the value of a voice. That without your voice, your ability to communicate is certainly greatly hindered and your ability to share with others greatly deterred. A voice enables you to say what you need to say and say what you want to say. Because the purpose of your voice is to communicate, to share information, to get your thoughts out of your mind into a place where someone else can receive them, to exchange ideas, to make oneself known in relationship. It's amazing to think about, isn't it, that your your voice comes from these these vocal cords vibrating in your throat and it gives you the ability to, to get out of your mind uh, thoughts that you have um, and, and those turn them into sound waves and then those, those sound waves travel uh, rather quickly <laughs> to the other parties in the room and they're received by these effective receptors on the side of your head called ears and then those receptors transform those sounds and transfer them into the brain of the other person. Astonishing. Well, this morning we're going to meet a voice. We're going to meet one who has something to say. We're going to meet one for whom we are to listen and learn from. We're in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, and really transitioning out of that introduction, out of that prologue, and moving to the main narrative of the story. And like other Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, before we meet the main character of the work, Jesus of Nazareth, we meet the one who came before him, John the Baptist. In fact, we've already met John the Baptist in the prologue. Remember that the, the main point of the prologue was to set the stage for the rest of the book, to introduce you to the major themes, to catch your attention and draw you into the story. So the apostle has already mentioned John the Baptist a couple times before. You think back to John chapter 1, he was, he said that John the Baptist came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. That was in John 1, 7 and 8. And, and we've met him, we've, we've heard that he was a man commissioned by God, came as a witness to the light, that all might believe in the word made flesh through him. Today, as the apostle tells us about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, going to start with John the Baptist's ministry. We're going to move out of the prologue into the main flow of the book, focusing on John 1, 19 to 34. John 1, 19 to 34. I'd like to consider two simple questions with you. Who was John the Baptist in verses 19 to 28? And then what did he have to say? Who was John the Baptist? And then what did he have to say? You know, John is a unique guy. He plays a unique role in the storyline of the Bible. Listen to the way that Pastor Scotty Smith reflects on John the Baptist. He writes, John the Baptist is a central character in John's gospel because of the unique role he played in the history of redemption. John straddled the Old and New Testaments like a redemptive bridge. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets and at the same time 
He was the first herald of the arrival of God's promised kingdom in Jesus. I like that imagery of, of John straddling the Old and the New Testament with one foot in each. He's, he's the final prophet of the Old Covenant era, and yet the first to welcome in the New. And in our text today, he finds himself on the hot seat. He has evidently been causing quite the stir and has gotten the attention of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark opens by describing the impact that John was having. He says in, in Mark 1, 4 and 5, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then listen to this. And all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him to be baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So just just loads and loads of people are going out to hear John preach and partake in his baptism in the River Jordan. I mean, think about that. It'd be, it'd be like if all of Park Circle and most of North Charleston were, were going down to the Cooper River uh, to hear a preacher and be baptized. I would certainly, especially as a pastor, I'd want to I'd check this guy out and see what's going on. And that's exactly what we have happening in our text today is that the religious leaders in Jerusalem they're going to check this guy out and try to figure out what he's up to. So in our passage, these religious leaders come, they, they put John on the hot seat, and they really ask him three questions. They're asking, who are you? What do you say about yourself? And then why are you baptizing? Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And then why are you baptizing? It's important because we really get an insight into how John thought of himself, his self-identity. Look with me at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the one who we've, John has previously told us, was he called him a witness earlier in the chapter. We're not going to hear his testimony. A witness gives a testimony. He's being interrogated here by uh, Jewish opponents, priests and Levites, those who are leading the worship in the temple and those who are assisting them. And they come and they're asking John, who are you? In verse 20, he responds and he says, he confessed, John says, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they must have just come out and asked him, are you, are you the Christ? Are you the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for from the line of David? The king who would reign forever? John says, I am not. So then they ask him more questions. They say, so what then? Are you Elijah? John says, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answers, no. Since John is so very clear that he's not the Messiah, they perhaps think he's one of these other Old Testament figures who the Jews would believe would come before the end of the age. They thought maybe he was Elijah who, because he did not die, but was taken up into heaven, see 2 Kings 2, 11, and was foretold by the prophet Malachi, Malachi 4, 5, that he would come before the great day of the Lord. They think maybe it's him. Or they think he's maybe the prophet, the one that um, God promised in Deuteronomy 18 to Moses that there would come a prophet like him to speak God's word to his people. And really by the first century, by the time of John, they thought that the prophet would come as a precursor to the end. John denies them both. He says, I am, no, I, I'm neither. Which leads them then to, to ask another question. 
verse 22. So they say to him, Who are you? You need to give an answer to those who sent you. What do you say about yourself? So they're saying, okay, if you're, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, then who are you, John? How, how would you describe yourself? We, we've got to report back to those who sent us. Mark John's response in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet said. What a fascinating response. They say, John, who are you? How do you, how do you think about yourself? He says, I'm the voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord, just like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 40, verse 3. So John's saying, I'm not the Messiah, not Elijah, not the prophet. I don't, I don't fit into your categories and your expectations. Rather, I'm, I'm the voice. I'm the, the mouthpiece of the Lord. And as the voice... I have a message, I have a purpose, coming to make straight, to prepare, to clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then they, 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 they transition, you know, and move to this, this next last question they ask him of, why, why are you baptizing them? So look at 24 and 25, they, John tells us they've been sent by the Pharisees, this very strict religious sect. And they ask him, quote, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? So I think the idea is if, if you're neither of these figures, then on, on whose authority do you baptize? I've got to step back and just think for a minute um, how baptism functioned in the lives of first century Jews. Scholars and historians will tell us that, that baptism at this time in Israel was, was primarily reserved for Gentiles, for non-Jews, as they would uh, convert to Judaism. It was an act of total cleansing as they immersed themselves in the water, which marked a threshold or a religious, they crossed a threshold or a religious conversion. So it wasn't unheard of for people to be baptized. But what John was doing was unique in two ways, really. Two ways that it was unique. One is that typically these Gentile converts practiced self-baptizing. They would just baptize themselves. John's doing something different. He's taking the authority to baptize others. Second is that John's not dunking Gentiles in the River Jordan, but Jews. It's like, it's like John is, is calling out like an Old Testament prophet. He's calling out to say, who's the holy remnant here in Israel who will personally repent of their sins and be ready to receive and follow the Messiah? Who's getting ready to cross not a, a mere religious conversion, but to be prepared to meet a person. So John responds in their answer of why are you baptizing? He says, in verse 26, I, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John's saying, yes, I do baptize. But my baptism is not an end in itself. My baptism is about a person coming. I'm preparing the way for the one who would come after me. The one who's so great that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. One who's so above me that I cannot even do the work of a slave. It was said that, 
at this time, students could, could um, do whatever the rabbi asked them except one thing, take off their shoes. Because that was reserved only for slaves. And John's saying, there's one coming, and I'm not even worthy to do that. And that's my whole purpose. That's why I've been sent. That's why I've been called to do. That's why I'm a voice. And that's why I'm baptizing. So who's John? He's, he's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. He is the voice that Isaiah spoke of. And as a voice, he's got something to say. So let's, let's look at that. That's this, so who's John? Point one. Second point. What did, what did he have to say? So if, if, he's got a, if he's a voice, we need to listen to him. If he's coming to prepare the Lord, let's hear his plan. If he's been sent as a witness to testify about the light, let's hear his testimony. If you think about point one is how John thinks about himself, point two here is really how John thinks about Jesus, the Word made flesh. We're going to see that as the voice, John's got four things to say. And this really is his testimony. I'm wondering this morning if you have ears to hear him. You have ears to hear what he's got to say. Starting verse 29, he says, The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the day following that interrogation with the religious leaders, and John sees out in the community ministering. Perhaps he's back at the, the Jordan River baptizing, and he sees Jesus coming towards him, and he knows who Jesus is. And he cries out, right, because he's the voice. He cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, see him, look at him, see his glory. He's the Lamb of God. There's, there's just incredible Old Testament background to this loaded phrase of, of Lamb of God. I don't know perhaps if John understood it as well as we do from our vantage point, but he's clearly testifying that Jesus would be the sacrificial lamb of God. It's like the way that Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He, he foretold of a, the servant of the Lord who would be like a lamb, that he would be oppressed and afflicted. He wouldn't open his mouth. Like a lamb, he'd be led to slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears, he would not open his mouth. He'd be slaughtered, Verse 6 says, because we are like sheep who've gone astray. We've turned away, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the lamb, the iniquity of us all. This is how the lamb would take away the sins of the world, by being slaughtered for them by the Father. And, and this, this sacrifice would not just be restricted to the Jewish race, but rather to, to the world, to all human beings without distinction to any who would believe. Right? This is what John told us in the prologue. He said that, that Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He's also, John says, the, the eternal God. Look at verse 30. He says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, 
because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This is very similar to what we saw last week in verse 15 that, that um, John told us earlier how John the Baptist cried out saying, This is the one of whom I spoke about. He who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. So he's saying, even though I come before Jesus' ministry, he surpassed me, he ranks above me, he's superior to me because he's literally been before me. Because he is God eternal. So John's saying, he must increase, I must decrease, my focus is on him. I came baptizing to prepare the way for him that he might be revealed. He also wants us to see that, that Jesus is the one who possesses the Spirit. Look at verse 32 and 33. I think John here is telling us about a previous event when, when he baptized Jesus, which the other gospel writers record. Look at verse 32. John bore witness, right? Again, he's the voice. And he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize, the Father, um, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he's speaking about this previous occurrence when he saw the Spirit come at Jesus' baptism, descend from heaven, and remain on him. This was the sign. This was the sign that signified to John that he was the Messiah. You've got to think, okay, why would that be a sign to signify that he was the Messiah? It's because in the, in the Old Testament, yes, the, the Spirit would be given on occasion to certain men to empower them for a specific task, like maybe build the tabernacle or, or lead the people, but the Spirit would depart when the task was complete. The Old Testament foretold that when the Messiah came, it would be different. Spirit would descend and remain on the Messiah. Let me just read you some text from Isaiah's gospel, from Isaiah's testimony. Isaiah 11, 1 to 2, it says, There shall come forth a root, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. A text that Jesus would say is about him in Luke 4. So the Spirit came and remained on Jesus, and that was the sign to those who knew the Old Testament that he was the Messiah that he was set apart for this ministry and that he could also then pour the Spirit out on his people, the church. That the Spirit would remain in the Messiah, be permanent among him, but then just as the Old Testament foretold, be poured out by the Messiah upon those who believe in him. Isaiah 44 verse 3 I spoke about this, that, that God said, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry land, and I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessing upon your descendants. 
And in Ezekiel 36, speaking about the new covenant, he said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And Joel 2, 28 said that it, it came to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is exactly what we're going to see happening in the Gospel of John. As we move through the Gospel of John, we're going to see things Jesus not only the Spirit remain on him, but then him speak about the ministry of the Spirit. So like, for example, in John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, you've got to be born again, yes, born of water and the Spirit. And in John 7, he's, he talks about the filling of the Spirit that would come when Jesus is glorified. And then after Jesus is resurrected in John 20, Jesus um turns to his disciples, breathes on them, and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is all part of John's testimony about who Jesus is, that he's, he is the one bringing the new covenant. He is the one bringing the, this new community, sign of the age to come with the Holy Spirit. The last thing he says is that he is the Son of God. Look at verse 34. As I have said, and I bore witness, that this is the Son of God. This is, I think, the, the conclusion of the matter. He's saying, yes, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, he's the one who surpasses me because he's before me. Yes, he's the one who has the Spirit and pours out the Spirit. He is none other than the Son of God. The one who would reveal the Father to us. Like he said back in the prologue in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father. And in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the father's side, he has made him known. This is what the son is doing. He's making known the father. And John is saying, I've seen him. I've seen him. I see his glory. Or witness about him. Right? I, I'm the voice. And I'm proclaiming to you to, to, get, to get ready for his coming. That the Son is coming to make the Father known. That's John's witness as the voice. Who is John? He's the voice. He's sent by God to prepare for his coming. And what does he have to say? He has to say, here to prepare you for Jesus, the Lamb of God, the eternal God, the one dwelt by the Spirit, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, the very Son of God himself, the one that can take your sin away, the one that can fill you with the Spirit, the one that can change you, make God known to you. I wonder, brothers and sisters, Friends, do you hear him? Are you listening to what he's saying to you today? He's been sent by God as a witness about the light, as a voice, to communicate, to inform, to, to make known to those who have ears to hear. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Is that you? Are you listening? Let's pray for God's help.